0: Welcome to episode 166 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris, and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up the night sky, and this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. Happy Halloween, Shane. Same to you, sir. Uh, Yes, did you you carve a pumpkin?
1: I did not. No, no. no. Um, The closest we get to Halloween is spoiling our little nephews with far too much candy, but the doorbell ringing uh, drives our dog nuts, so... (laughs) Um one year I I hung out in the basement with the dog and Jessica gave out candy, but the dog still heard the doorbell and lost her mind every time. So now what we do is we turn out all the lights and either pretend we're not at home or we
0: go somewhere else and skip the whole event. <laughs> so can't can't blame me on that one. We yeah. I mean I really I really like Halloween. I'm 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 a I'm a big fan. We don't decorate. Or anything like that but uh you know i always i always do get a pile of treats to to give out um you know last year we ended up just putting um you know some treats out and this year we'll probably probably do the same thing but uh you know in future years we'll probably uh hand hand the treats out and then we also find like this time of year it's just it's just so busy with our various projects that uh, anyway it, uh, you know, it, it can be difficult just for us to take an evening off, you know, and yeah, yeah, we'll just, we'll just stand on the front porch and hand out treats. But also like the past couple of years, I find, I don't know whether in our, in our neighborhood or in general, Halloween is kind of ebbing a little bit. So at first we would get like 150 kids out and it was crazy. You could just stand out there and toss treats all night. And I, I thought that was pretty fun. But then, you know, uh, even before the pandemic, the couple of years before that, you um, you know, we may give out 30 or 40 treats. So any, anyway, we'll see what happens this year. And if it kind of starts to come back, I'm, I'm happy to stand there and give out, give out treats, but, uh, yeah, I'll let the kids know to bring the eggs and tomatoes to your house and, uh, yeah, we'll be <laughs> up. Good. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, lots
1: of people say that too, like, no, doesn't your house get egged or whatever, but I don't know. We, we've, we've never had an issue. Um, so fingers crossed hopefully our luck continues I guess.
0: I'm sure I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah, I I guess we had some pretty amazing experiences when we moved here and were giving out um, candy and treats. Um, yeah, I won't get into it, but it was it was a lot of fun and uh, so anyway, it, it sort of has has kept me going in the treat giving giving department. but uh, speaking of speaking of giving, yeah we have <laughs> some new Patreon contributors to thank.
1: Um, Martin and Ben. thank you very much for your uh, Patreon contributions. We really do appreciate that. Um, like we've said before, it helps keep this podcast going. We do have some expenses um to to you know for hosting and various other things. They're not substantial, but we do appreciate this being a, a no cost adventure for us and and we've uh, basically gotten there and, and uh, now we're starting to consider some other things to maybe enhance it a little bit. Thank you to uh, Ben and Martin. We really appreciate it. Um, uh, and and to all of our other Patreon supporters as well. Uh, thank you very much.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for, uh, for doing that. Uh, how was your week, Shane? It was not too
1: bad. Um, super busy at work and That saps some of the energy for the evening, but the maybe I guess the good part in a way was the again our weather wasn't super good for observing this last week. Mm. I don't know if you had any chances to get out or if you did anything fun or exciting.
0: No, well, like yesterday, you know, last night probably would have been okay if if you really could have planned for it because I think we had a couple hours um, before dawn where it did um, clear and I think it probably was still enough, but. Um, yeah, I went out to my site yesterday and was uh, set up on uh, or I didn't set up. i just was was out on on my hill uh, just kind of trying to determine you know what or if or how i I would you know put an observatory up there, like basically a scope cover. Um, but uh, man, it was it was pretty chilly, you know, it was like uh, six or seven degrees and and that win was was pretty cool. So mm-hmm. it, it's good to go up and and do that because then it kind of really gets me thinking, okay, like it's it's one thing to be up there in the summer on a cool morning or something like that, but now we're really getting into winter. So so what, what's gonna what's gonna work? What what's gonna work for a scope cover and and something to shield my body against uh you know uh the, the forces of nature when you're out there and it's and it is um, below freezing and 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 a little bit of wind in the air, so that uh, so you can actually observe, you know, mm-hmm. and that's sort of mm-hmm. the goal in all this. So so what's what's it going to take? Maybe, maybe it's impossible. I don't
1: know. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm sure you'll figure out some kind of solution. Um, lots of options out there, and you know, the reward is probably worth it because, especially like on that hill that you have, you know, depending on the direction of the wind, you are a little exposed. And that, in and of itself, could end or even prevent you from observing, really. Yeah. Um, so if you get something in place, um, you know, I know you'll you'll appreciate it, and you, and it'll help you to observe uh, a lot more. Like when I had my observatory, um, and I was using it because I had my um, uh, Celestron AVX mount in there. Um, I really did get out a lot more than probably I would have earlier or than than uh I would if I never had that observatory. Um now the other factor at that time I didn't really have a small telescope that was an easy uh grab and go. Um, so that also enhanced
0: the whole experience. But uh
1: yeah, I'm excited to see what you come up with there for a solution.
0: Yeah, yeah. I also gotta, you know, find someone to kind of help put it together. Um a- anyway, it's it, it's complicated, it needs to be done. Inexpensively and uh, needs to sort of meet some some requirements. Trying to trying to figure out which direction to kind of have it roll off in. One way I could probably go, uh, you know, ten by ten or maybe even ten by twelve. And if I go and and put it in, in another spot, it would pretty much have to be like uh, eight by eight. Maybe maybe I could do eight by ten, but I'm I'm doubtful of that. I think I would probably be more like the eight by eight size. But but maybe that's that's all all that I need. Who who knows at this point. It's it's sort of uh, almost like paralysis by analysis. I, I sort of get to one point thinking, okay, this is what I need. Then I'm like, no, that's stupid. <laughs> I have no idea. I have well, no idea. What yeah, it,
1: it's, it, it has some similarities to retirement planning in that you know you sort of have to pick the day you think you're going to live to and then work backwards and see if you have enough money to retire. And with an observatory, you have to think about what is the, the largest telescope you may want to put in there and then work backwards from that and, yeah. um, you know, sort of design it accordingly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's true. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, for a while, actually um, and I may have mentioned this a little bit last week, but, uh, but Mark Radici who, who we had on a couple of weeks ago now mm-hmm. um, he and I have been chatting and it's been really useful because, because he is a backyard observatory. He had a built um, it's not backyard observatories, but it's called like, observatories or something like that. Anyway, in the UK. And, and he originally put in um, not a pier but like a support for like putting his 14 inch daub in. Cause I originally thought, well, maybe I'll put a spot in for, for a daub or I'll, I'll put a support in so I can have a daub or I can put in a, a pier for, for having, uh, you know, one of my refractors or having my refractors mounted. And that's kind of what he did actually, sort of strangely enough kind of great minds maybe, or not so great minds in my case. Um, and he found that, no, he just ended up, uh, putting the kibosh on that. It just wasn't that useful with the dob. he said. So he ended up just getting, uh, the rest of the pier poured. Eventually he ended up putting a steel pier in and then he just was like, and oh, going all the way and put the, put the cement pure in. Cause that that's probably the best and the cheapest solution. So I was kind of thinking, maybe, maybe I should start there. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. We'll see. And then as well, like going out yesterday with, with the dob, you know, you want to have lower walls, his walls aren't that low. Um, and, uh, and going out the yesterday, I'm like, man, there's no way I could be observing out there with low walls. Like you put an observatory and you want high walls. If, uh, maybe if I'm going to use a dob, then, um, I would have to have it. So I could just roll it out and use it when it's not windy because like yesterday's wind, I, th- I think it would have been good for observing, but it was still like 12, 14 kilometers an hour, and it was minus seven degrees Celsius. So that, that is something you begin to feel pretty quick.
1: Uh, mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm.
0: so yeah, there's you know, some,
1: go ahead. Uh, that That's one advantage. Maybe there's maybe others too. I don't know, but one advantage of that sky shed pod design is that that roof rotates 360 degrees. And what I would often do in the backyard, if there was a wind I would just position it so that the dome was protecting me from the wind. And I just observed the other direction. So some nights, if it was windy, it, it dictated what part of the sky I was looking at, but then I was completely protected and I had no wind bothering me at all. So I, I did appreciate that aspect of that design.
0: Yeah. And I, I thought about that and there's next dome is, is another, is another, I think it's another Canadian company even out of Vancouver and they make, um, a similar observatory. I think it's pretty much the same size as the sky shed pod, but it has like a full slit in it that goes past the Zenith, which I thought if I was going to go for something like that, then I would, uh, I want to be fully protected. So I started kind of, okay, well, like just, just to kind of say like nothing's off the table at this point, because I have no idea what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And I started kind of, okay, how much would this cost? And, you know, by the time you build the deck for it, you know, cause I'd have to get, I, you know, the ground there is not flat as you know, cause I got to get a deck put in to put something on. Well, I'm, I'm halfway and, you know, got to have the pier and all that kind of stuff. I'm halfway or more to the cost of just doing the little roll off anyway. And I don't know, I I'm worried. I'd feel like too claustrophobic or like you said, you'd be pretty constrained in that. Uh, I guess it's about seven feet um, across. Like it's, it's not that big in there. So even if I went eight by eight, but it was open, I think I'd I'd have significantly more room um, for observing. And uh, sometimes I do just like to look at the sky quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I think in in a dome, I think it would be pretty hard because, you know, the, the telescope would be there looking out the dome. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I really think that just a really inexpensive shelter of some sort is probably uh, going to be best. But uh, I don't know. Like I said, it's, uh, yeah, it's it's just something I've been been toying around with but i think by going out and and kind of taking a look i need to to go back out and i want to do some more observing out there just need to get the night and um you know kind of see where some of the lights are there are some annoying lights there as as you know in the distance and i'm trying to get it oriented so uh so i can avoid uh avoid those lights too but uh you know speaking of going out and the next time we go out i kind of hope that you come because you're getting some interesting uh you're getting an interesting arsenal of equipment there lined up for us to do some some comparison testing with.
1: Yeah, completely unplanned as well, which um, I don't know, I guess good and bad, maybe good that it's exciting, maybe bad because my bank account is shrinking. But um, uh, as you know, I do enjoy uh, picking up used gear because some of the depreciation, uh, you know, has come off the original price tag and it allows me to just try different things that I'm interested in. And if I like it, I keep it. If I don't like it, I usually sell it for the price that I paid. Um, so recently, I got the 12 and a half millimeter Bader Morpheus, which we've talked about. Um, but then this last week, uh, another one of the eyepieces on my, you know, kind of wish list to try popped up, which is the uh, APM 30 millimeter UFF or ultra flat field. Um, it's a, I think it's like 72 degree field of view. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. With like 20. 20 millimeters of eye relief. Um, it, it's very well regarded or well reviewed on cloudy nights and the various astronomy forums on the internet. And, um, uh, what, what's intrigued me about it is it's, it's fairly light when it comes to these wide field kind of 30 ish millimeter eyepieces. What's the weight? Uh, ah, like a pound and a half or a pound. Um, I'm going to look this up it's a pound lighter than the Nagler, the 31 millimeter Nagler, I believe. And I think the Nagler is like two and a half pounds. It's a very heavy eyepiece. Um, so anyway, uh, I'm intrigued by it because of its lightweight. Um, it's a very flat field, very, um, very well corrected to the edges in just about all telescopes. I think, unless you're running something really fast, uh, eye relief is really good. And, um, you know, the, the views that it provides are apparently are really good. And there's been, or I've read a number of reviews of people that own the 31 millimeter Nagler. And when they purchased the APM 30 millimeter, um, you know, months later, they ended up selling the Nagler cause they just stopped using it because the APM was just so much lighter and, and, uh, they really didn't miss the, the extra little bit of field that the Nagler provided. So off it went. Um, I'm not sure I'll get there, but I'm really excited to give it a try and see how it looks.
0: Yeah. So I looked it up. It's about 19 and a half grams or 19 and a half ounces. That'd be really light. Um, Yeah. So that is, that is pretty light. So my, my original wide scan three was about 18 and a half. So it puts it in, into that kind of range. And I think that my, I think that my doctor 12 and a half, I think that's uh, about 19 ounces. So, so it puts it in that realm, which which I say is like a a middleweight eyepiece. You know, you definitely notice it when you add it to your bag, but it doesn't end up being like with the Nagler. Sometimes it's like, well, I can take the Nagler or I can take these 20 eyepieces. Well,
1: yeah. (laughs) And the most frustrating thing with the Nagler is, you know, it's an amazing eyepiece. It's really Mm. wonderful. But let's say you've uh, found your object. And now it's time to add some magnification. So you pull out the Nagler. Well, you better have your clutch locked on that mount or else your telescope will nosedive, uh, assuming that you had it properly balanced for the Nagler. And then if you put in any other eyepiece, you're going to have to rebalance that telescope. Yeah. Um, Now, if you're using like an equatorial mount, um, it's probably a little bit less important, although, you know properly balanced, uh, telescopes are, are still needed in that regard, especially for photography. But, you know, for you and I, when we use our Alt-As mounts, scope balance becomes ultra important. And, uh, so I do find that a little frustrating. And in fact, Teleview cells, um, I forget what they call it, but um, it's like a counterbalance weight. Like it's a it's a brass uh, inch and uh, what is it? One point two five inch to two inch adapter. It's it called goes, an
0: equalizer, isn't it? Yeah,
1: yeah. And it's meant to like add weight. I'm look it up. For so like when you go from or a Nagler or heavier eyepiece to something lighter, you put this thing in the diagonal. It is and it's the <laughs> equalizer. That's what it's called. Really I've, I've actually considered buying one, except I can never find one in stock when when I'm making the decision that I want it. So yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, I'm really excited. the uh, The APM should come this week, and I will give it a try.
0: Well, that's very exciting because having just recently uh, finally purchased my sort of be all to end all thirty odd millimeter, which is the Massima 32. Um, we then have a pretty interesting, uh, set of eyepieces to compare between my old wide scan three, the Masayama, the Nagler 31, and now the uh, 30 millimeter APM. That's a pretty interesting, uh, comprehensive set of eyepieces there from inexpensive to the most expensive, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The Nagler is one of the pricier ones in that category. Um, yeah, I'm, I think it'll be fun and, you know, with our with our love of these smaller telescopes, the Nagler is just a real hard eyepiece to use. It just yeah. throws the balance out of whack so much. And like, for example, my 76 millimeter tack, um, when I put the Nagler in the back, I can't balance that telescope without a counterbalance weight. Like I can't advance the tube any more forward. In its holder, and it's still not enough to to counter how heavy the Nagler is on the back. Because you know the other aspect here is you're now obviously having to use a two inch diagonal, which adds a lot more weight over an inch and a quarter. And really, a lot of these small telescopes, even if they come with a two inch um, focuser, they're really not meant to have that kind of weight hanging off the back. No. You just no. can't balance them. So yeah, it, it really becomes a challenge. And if you go even smaller, like our sixty millimeter uh, telescopes or, you know, especially our fifties, like trying to hang a an angler off the back. is just ridiculous.
0: Yeah. Even, even 19 ounces is, is, is really getting to the upper limit. I find I can do it, mm-hmm. but that's, that's pretty much it. I wouldn't want to put any more weight, uh, at all, but you know, the 30 should be perfect, I think. And, uh, yeah, I'm really excited to see how it compares to, uh, to the Massey. just, uh, yeah. I really like the center of the mass I still, uh, one thing I meant to do is I meant to, and I'll do this the next clear night is, is tweak my 50 millimeter for the mass Cause I have a, um, uh, I have a set of spacers and a field flattener that I can use, but I kind of want to get out to a darker, a darker site, but I can just, you know, kind of run down the road now and, uh, and go out into the fields, uh, you know, so long as they, they dry out a little bit. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully we can get, get these, uh, these out to, uh, to the dark side and, uh, and, and run a comparison. I think it would be pretty awesome. Yeah.
1: I think it would be kind of neat to,
0: to play around with
1: the wide fields and then the, uh, the twelves and, and really, you know, the way we observe or that's kind of the jump usually, right. We kind of go wide field and then sort of that mid range around that 12 millimeter. And, uh, we spend a lot of time in between those two focal lengths of eyepieces. So I think it'll be yeah. a fun night.
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think that'd be pretty pretty cool speaking of uh, of mounts and balance I my my sky az GTI um, is still at at the shop but uh, it, it I it left three weeks ago this past Friday and uh, so what happened? So I've been having some, I was having some trouble with it. You, you took a look and we couldn't sort it out, but kind of seemed like it was binding in the azimuth. So the, the round and round kind of like the lazy Susan motion of the Mount wasn't working. This little alt as Mount that, uh, that I bought, uh, just over a year ago. And, uh, so anyway, I, 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 talked to skywatcher. They said, yeah, send it in. They were pretty good. They sent me, um, pack and slip in that, uh, for UPS. And so I sent it along they said it would be four weeks and they get to it. And so I just thought I'd drop them a note last week and uh, yeah, dropped them a note and they wrote me almost right back, um, you know, within a few hours and said, yeah, we're going to get to it, uh, you know, this coming week mm-hmm. and uh, you know, kind of fingers crossed that uh, they're uh, they're, I guess their their repair guy is as good as their support and communication has been. And, you know, uh, hope the, uh, be getting that back sometimes, uh, sometime, you know, before, uh, before the end of the end of November, I guess. So, but they've been good. I've been impressed with Skywatcher support so far. I just wanted to say that.
1: Yeah, that's good. That, you know, that's worth a lot. Most of this stuff, you don't run into issues and it, you know, it lasts its proper lifetime, but it's nice to know that if you do need support that they're there to help you out.
0: Yeah. I just kind of wish that when they had assembled the mount, like you and I looked at it enough to see that there were some pretty big metal filings in it. And I, I kind of feel like the mounts are are affordable. Like they're not the most expensive mounts. Um, however, they are really, really good. And they, they've come up with some awesome ideas. And then it's just kind of a little disappointing that kind of, the thing that kind of makes them underperform is not the engineering. It's not the design. It's not the idea. It's not the material, it's not the concept. It's just that when they, they put them together, they're getting metal filings in them. And I've seen this from, from a lot of users and that's just really unfortunate because I feel like out of all that, it's hard to design a really good little mount that can take 12 pounds and they've done that beautifully. It's a beautiful little mount, but that they, they just need to, um, to, to clean them out a little bit before they, before they do that final assembly. And it seems like it's pretty common with, with a lot of their mounts. So I don't know, maybe, maybe they can get that resolved. Cause I think if they did, I think that, uh, boy, I mean, it, it, it's the only mount like that, the AZ GTI it's awesome. And I really like it a lot. It's just kind of disappointing when you open it, like, Oh, there's all these metal filings in it. Like Mm -hmm. any of, any of these are going to get in there and cause havoc, right? It's that, that's, this is what's happened to the Mount, unfortunately. So
1: anyway, we'll
0: yeah. See what happens.
1: yeah, hopefully <laughs> so, it comes back and it, you know, serves you the way you expect it to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Fingers, fingers crossed. I'm um, I'm pretty hopeful. Um, yeah, they seem pretty good so far. Um, I do like this. I do. I, and I'm not just saying it like we have no sponsorship or anything, but I do really like the skywatcher stuff. I think they come out with some pretty good products and, uh, yeah, I've been pretty impressed with with any of the stuff uh, from them that that I've purchased. I think that they are making good products, and they clearly they stand behind them. So, um, you know, I'm sort of excited to see uh, where they go in the future. Um, I've been chatting to to a listener, Peter, as recent as as even late last night about his replacement focuser, and uh, so he and I were going back and forth. But I think you were following some of the conversation.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's uh, replacing. Uh, a focuser on a
0: Celestron 70 millimeter refractor, I think. Is that right? I, I think so. It's some. It's something like that. Um, and I, I was really happy that that he reached out um, for this bit of advice because I've replaced all of my focusers on all of my refractors, um, and in fact, even the Takahashis. One thing I did is my FS60. I thought the focuser was a bit tight. I couldn't quite get it where I wanted it, and so I took it off, and replaced it with a feather touch. And then when I got my, um, hundred millimeter Tac DC, I, I took the focuser off the 60, the feather touch, I put it on the hundred, but then I was like looking at the hundred focuser, the hundred millimeter focuser is supposed to be identical to the 60. And I was like, man, this one is so silky smooth. It's really a good focuser. I'm guessing there was just some sort of weird QC issue with the, with the 60 focuser or something because it, it just wasn't as smooth or maybe it needed to be regreased or something. But anyway, I took the hundred millimeter focuser off the tack and put it on the 60. And that's how I use it. So I do have a tack focuser on the 60 and it works great. It's just not the one that came with it.
1: <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But
0: anyway, I've replaced the focuser on my 80 millimeter. I put a two inch It came with a crappy one and a quarter and I put a two inch on and um, yeah, I've replaced other focusers and replaced the focuser on my, on my Borgs. I replaced, i put a focuser on the Borg that, that I bought from you. <laughs> I didn't use the one that you sent. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I kind of know a fair bit about replacing uh, refractor focusers. So he had bought one, looked pretty good. I think it's the one that I was looking at. If I if I get another Skywatcher Acromat, he was looking at the, I think he bought the focuser that I was actually thinking I would get. Um, and so now he's just hunting around for, for the adapter um, to actually make the focuser to the telescope tube. And so I gave him some some options there to uh, to look at, but I, I really think that's the way to go. You know, a lot of these inexpensive telescopes are actually really good, like small telescopes from Celestron or Skywatch or whoever. Um, but for to, you know, and I, I guess it kind of keeps the price low to just put inexpensive one and a quarter inch um, focusers on there because the majority of the users out there are just going to use them with with that focuser and they're going to be happy with it, but. A lot of these little telescopes, they really perform well um, for wide fields of view. You know, a lot of them aren't really planetary instruments, but they have excellent optics, and uh, and those optics are going to work best at lower powers. And uh, and so by putting a, a two inch focuser on on a little telescope, whether it's a seventy or eighty or or whatever it is, um, you can really get some some nice low power, super wide field of view. So you know, I, I encourage people to to explore that. If people are trying to do it. They need some help. I, I don't mind uh, don't mind you know give, giving people some some guidance there because certainly something I spend a lot of time doing and And you had some emails back and forth about your uh, suitcase observatory ideas. I thought that was pretty cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, oh gee. Um, let me just take a quick look here. Um, it, it was a reference to a website that I had long forgotten about. Um, so oh, I should have pulled up this email actually. Um, it, it's a website that has a very scientific approach to rating the, I guess, effectiveness of, uh, camera tripods yeah, and center, it is
0: center column. Isn't that what it's yeah, called? Yeah.
1: That's it. Yeah. Center And, um, what, what they do, like what appeals to me is they have like, um, sort of a vibration test and it's, again, it's, it's fairly scientific in how they do it. And then they, like, they rate the tripod for its ability to dampen and, and kind of recover from various levels of, of knocks on it. And this is certainly from a, a standpoint of a photographer. It's not, it's not really an astronomy website, but us astronomers can certainly um, go there and have an understanding of which, which tripods are probably going to be the most stable Um, so yeah, if anybody's looking for kind of lightweight photographic tripods that they, uh, would like to use for a telescope, you may want to check that website out for reviews of, of just about, well, I wouldn't say all tripods, but a lot of them are on there. And, you know, I don't know how they kind of get access to all this gear, but it's a, it's a really good resource.
0: Wow. Cool. Yeah. That is, uh, that's really neat. Yeah. Suitcase observatory. Yeah. I kind of have one. Um, I (laughs) pack away my, FS-60 when I, when I travel and, uh, yeah, I've kind of taken that all over the place. Um, that's really what it, what it works, uh, what it works best at. So, yeah, I think that's a, uh, that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good idea. What telescope are you think about traveling with?
1: Well, so the, I don't know, actually, it, probably my 61 millimeter or my 50 millimeter FL, um, Either, either of those are really nice telescopes. The the 60 is a little shorter on the focal length by like 40 millimeters. So, um, I don't know, they both kind of have their pros and cons. Um, and, and really the amount of space they take up, uh, either can go in, into the suitcase, you know, so it'll be, yep. it'll be pretty easy to put either one in. Um, no, the, the goal really with this, um, this little project is I want it all, like everything in just one container, you know, tripod mount, telescope, diagonal yeah. eyepieces, filters, Herschel wedge. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm starting to piece some things together. I've got some ideas for tripods. Um, I need to get a special adapter to make this Borg, uh, single, for- single arm fork mount work properly. Um, and then I think I'll be in business. I, I did take the 50 millimeter out last night, actually the the board, um, there's, uh, I have this, um, tiny Nikon MC two zoom it's for a spotting scope, but you can easily adapt it for astronomical purposes. And, uh, the zoom is nine millimeter focal length up to 21, and fairly narrow fields of view, like 45, 50 degrees, but very sharp optics. And, and it's exceptionally light. Um, it just, it requires an awful lot of inward focus travel for it to act, like for it to actually work. Um, so I wanted to see if it did work in that 50 mil and it, it does. So I'm kind of, uh, encouraged by that. That might be the eyepiece that, that goes in the kit with it. Cool.
0: Yeah. 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 I like, I like that idea too. Um, I still need to get. So I've been typically what I've been doing is just buying um, inexpensive used tripods when I land somewhere. And uh, but it would be nice to be able to um, sort out one that I could uh, travel with, so that I didn't have to kind of kind of rely on that. Now that I've been doing any traveling the past two years, but uh, but yeah, maybe maybe once again I've gone in the other direction though. <laughs> I'm looking at pouring a concrete pier, I guess. So. <laughs>
1: Well, you know, the, the other aspect of this thing is it's not even just for like, you know, going on an airplane. Um, sometimes, you know, I'm going on a fishing trip or something like that. And it's just, it would be nice to be able to just grab one, like one box and I have everything I need uh, for astronomy if I wish to do it. Or, you know, perhaps it's like a last minute, Hey, you know, let's go observing Chris. And, you know, rather than having to think about what I want to pack up, I just grab this thing and I'm in the vehicle and moving.
0: Like your go bag, or like there's a zombie apocalypse. I mean, it is Halloween. Let's keep on theme, and <laughs> let's just say there's a zombie apocalypse, and you need to grab your food, water, you know, and uh, and telescope. Of course, you you, yes. you need the telescope to survive the end of the world. You can use it for for spotting zombies and 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 taking them out, and then uh, stargazing. What's once, uh, once you've eliminated all all localized threats, right? There you go. I like it. We also had a thank you back from Felipe in Brazil, and uh, he sent along uh, like his thanks. We read his email last week because he was, uh, uh, I think he was one of the first people to, to write us from the Southern Hemisphere. So we were really excited about that. And he's also um, uh, now a telescope maker, an amateur telescope maker down there and uh, has, has built, uh, I think it's like a six and a half or 166 millimeter or something like that um, reflector. And uh, so we were really excited to see uh, his photos of that, and uh, some of his photos through that, and and hear about his his journey down there. And it sounds like he's got some some pretty good plans. We we look forward to hearing more from him in the future.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's uh, that's a very neat project.
0: And so we had just read his email, and then we got an email from Wade in Australia. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so that was uh that was really exciting to have have more people in the southern hemisphere, and I started thinking now we're gonna to need to start including more southern hemisphere uh information in our podcast to make sure that we're we're including everybody in this uh, in our material
1: well yeah and and we got another listener email from Australia like yesterday or this morning from yeah, Ben, ben uh, yeah 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 that's awesome yeah did you want to read wade's uh email? Sure. Yeah. So my name is Wade and I am a visual observer from Australia, uh, about negative 27 and a half degrees latitude. Uh, I first came across your podcast while researching diagonals and your episode on them was extremely helpful. I've since gone back to episode one and listened to them all, uh, to get caught up. Uh, my main telescope is an eight inch GSO Dobsonian, uh, same make as uh, Phil from the UK apparently um that's cool uh you know looks like a really good Dobsonian to me um yeah and and, you know what phil has told us it just sounds like a a really good performer yep um to carry on here so uh so he has the eight inch gso also or or though although i also have an extremely modified st80 and a five inch grab and go reflector capable of four degrees true field of view cool uh, I agree with your no futs observing style and absolutely love my Bader Mark IV Zoom eyepiece for this reason. There you uh, go.
0: Bird, birds of a feather. Yeah. You yeah. and Wade. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I, I like my Zooms, that's for sure. Um, so he says, I would love to hear your opinion on this eyepiece. And and my response to Wade was, I can't really comment on it because I've never looked through one before. Um, so, you know, my general comment is I just like the ease of a zoom eyepiece. And, you know, as long as the focal range kind of works for your telescope and the eye relief, you know, uh, caters to your eyes, whether or not you need it or don't need it, then, you know, I think all zooms are, or the, the zoom will kind of make you happy.
0: Yeah. Um, I've, I've read some positive reviews on the Bader Mark four zoom though. I think it's generally well-regarded and, uh, we're fans of the Bader products as well. So oh, for sure. Yeah, I, I imagine it's, it's so. pretty good. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so he says, I am a fitter and tuner slash machinist and have modified or tweaked every telescope mount and tripod I own.
0: I really I sim- want to see some photos wait. <laughs> yeah. yeah <you're> <laughs> Where yeah. are the photos?
1: Yeah, that would be cool. Um, he says, I sympathize with your struggles to get gear to work well. Uh, nothing works optimally outside or out of the box. And uh, that's
0: that is so that is so great to get that sentence from somebody who is a machinist because so many of my students feel like there's something that's wrong with them when they get their telescopes. I would say 80% of the people that take my class and have a telescope think that they've done something wrong with their telescope and it's something with them and that they're, they feel stupid, but they're not. They're just a, a normal person. And here we have somebody who's a machinist saying, yeah, none of the telescopes work that well out of the box. And it's true. You always need to get used to it like yourself and then to make um, modifications to make it work well for you. Even though it might be a perfectly fine telescope out of the box, you always have to do these little things. You always have to tweak them, eh? Mm hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, whether it's just adding, you know, a red dot finder or something like that, there's there's usually something you need to do to make it work the way you want
0: it to work. Align the mirrors, like aligning mirrors, right? Mm-hmm. Like here, here we have the GSO, it's a great telescope, but guess what? When it gets shipped, you know, 4,000 kilometers or whatever, or however far, maybe it's going even further, you're probably going to have to align the mirrors. You're probably going to have to get a red dot finder, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe you have to get um, a balancing system because you have the Nagler 31, right? Right, yeah, 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 for <laughs> okay. sure. Good. For
1: sure. For uh, just- finish up Wade's email here. Um, your podcast has even helped with making astronomy friends as one local club member also listens and enjoys the podcast. A shout out to Darren. Uh, I even found Phil from the UK on a Facebook group and have since talked to him a lot about modification of telescopes. Uh, I love that there's a podcast about actually looking through telescopes and the myriad of challenges involved in what most people think is a simple thing uh, what a rabbit hole this hobby can become. Mm-hmm. Uh, love your work and keep it up. Wade from Australia. That's cool. Yeah. Very cool. Thanks, Wade. Appreciate the email. And, um, yeah, like Chris said, we'd love to see some photos of some of the the work you've done to modify your, your gear to
0: make it work how you want it to. Yeah. Especially where he's, he's a machinist. I, I, I get pretty excited hearing something like that. Um, I've had some, I don't want to say my friend Tim was a machinist, but Maybe he was a bit of a machinist, but he he definitely was somebody who was modifying. Um, well, he was a motorcycle mechanic, so he had a had a motorcycle shop and was making modifications in that using um, all kinds of wondrous and crazy um, pieces of uh, you know machinery in there. And uh, you know, and and lots of just regular folks can do some pretty amazing stuff. And then you start to see what what people that know how metal works and how you know. Um, you know, things can be properly engineered and put together because um, they do that every day as their, as their regular job. And then they apply it to astronomy. It can be pretty mind blowing what people come up with. Mm-hmm. But, totally. Yeah. So I'd be pretty excited. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, some, some nights when I'm bored, this is like a, a little cloudy night thing that I do occasionally is I'll just go uh, do an internet search for like astronomy DIY projects. Mm. And I'm, Sometimes just looking for inspiration because I feel like a project, Um, but sometimes I just like to see the cool things that people have come up with. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of creative people out there that have done some very neat projects, some, you know, to a larger scale than I would ever want to attempt, but... Um, one that I tweeted out some photographs, uh, probably about a year ago was like that simple little eyepiece tray I made for the Manfrotto tripod. Oh yeah. That's like, cool. that's not my idea. Uh, I just saw it on the internet and it was easy enough for me to do in my garage. So I did it, but, um, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I really appreciate the creative creativity and, and ability of some people to do this stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just I just go down those rabbit holes of looking at people's observatories, and uh, you know, because that's kind of where my head's at these days. And yeah, it's it's amazing, honestly. Though once once I get something working, and hopefully, I can get something I like, like I'll I'll definitely still look at those. But to me, it's it's not something I'm going to go and futz around with too much because I'm not really really uh, a builder of sorts. I'm not really mechanically inclined and don't really have that sort of passion. I just really am a, an observer and sketcher and that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, I just love seeing what people do, you know, uh, especially, you know, when we're having crappy weather, or it's super cold for a long time and, you know, just seeing what, what other people are, are doing out there. Yeah. Those Australian skies though, those must be awesome.
1: Oh, yeah. I, when I saw negative 27 and a half degrees, I, I became very envious all of a sudden. Uh, I would love to spend a few years at that latitude observing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly. The only neg- negative 27 and a half degrees that we have is is soon in our future.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Temperature will be that in probably a matter of a month.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was minus 12 this morning with the windshield. Minus
1: 12. Yeah. 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 Good stuff. I think, I think the base temperature, though, is what, minus six or something?
0: Six minus six and a
1: half. Okay. Okay.
0: What, what we were reading here at the Chateau. But but still daytime positives. So that's a good thing. Zero
1: tomorrow is the high. (laughs) We in, in a month or two, this will feel like a warm summer day.
0: Yeah, it will. Good stuff. (laughs) Okay. Anything else to add Shane? That is all. All right. Thank you for listening. And thank, uh, thank you for joining me, Shane.